You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Heartland that are going to be uh, helping us with Bible school this week, and so we're lo- really looking forward to that. Uh, appreciate these guys being here, so be sure and get around uh, and meet them. Amen. All right. Uh, any birthdays or anniversaries you need to recognize this morning? Any birthdays or anniversaries? Uh, yeah, that's right. Anniversary, 17 years. Amen. So, Rachel, yeah, let's give them a hand there. That's right. Amen. All right, so happy anniversary, 17 years to Rachel and Randy. That is wonderful. Amen. All right, uh, yeah, Richard. Wow. Wow. So that's got to be Sarah. Yep, so amen. Well, happy birthday to Sarah. Uh, unbelievable, 32. And that was early this week. That's right, because I remember I sent her a message earlier this week. Uh, so happy birthday to Sarah. Amen. All right, uh, well, uh, let's uh, do some Bible trivia, I believe, and then we'll dismiss to our class to the Gospel of John. And uh, I'm glad, as I mentioned, that we sang this morning, His Name is Wonderful, um, because we've been talking about the Word of God, the living Word of God. Uh, last week, we looked a little bit about in Hebrews 4, verse 12 was our text. This week, it's going to be the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the Word of God. There's of course, there's always been attacks on the Word of God, and those increase. But I want to say, as I switch to this, the recording, but uh, or for the live stream, but I want to say that one of the reasons it's so important is, is the attacks from the Word of God. I want to be very clear about this. We understand the attacks, if you will, from the left side, if you want to just think of it in those terms. Uh, you know, of course, the, the, the left and right, you know, that terminology comes from the, from the French Revolution, you know, and they were... Uh, they, had a, they had the left and the right. One was more extreme this way, the other that way. So we use that terminology a lot. But I like to think of it in terms of when God said this way. He said, when he gave the word of God, he said not to go to the left hand or to the right hand. So we understand the attacks that come from the left. We need to be aware of those. That's what we just finished up on Wednesday, preaching about beware of wolves. Preaching about the emerging church in particular, but those that try to... Uh, cast doubt on the Word of God, on the clarity and the authority of God's Word. That's obviously an egregious thing. 
But I want to tell you something that bothers me. That's the left. But it also bothers me when I have uh, brethren and friends that believe a whole lot more like me, almost to the uh, dot and tittle, but they like to add to it. And they enjoy making uh, things that we teach as pre- that, that are preferences and traditions that are more associated with our culture. They like teaching those traditions as the Word of God. In other words, they go to the right hand. And, they, and it's, as if, it's, it's as if by God saying this, and we're going to go even more extreme than God, that we're doing God a favor. God don't need your favor. God don't need me, and He don't need you. I mean, he has chosen, in a sense, to need us in order to carry out his work, but that's how he's chosen. But in regards to when you think about the preachers of the Word of God, and, and, and as Christians, that we, we are to herald and share the Word of God, folks, we don't go to the right hand, we don't go to the left, we share God's truth, we stay within the Word of God. Uh, we, we, can, we may have preferences uh, that go, go way beyond, uh, and that's fine. But the problem is, is when we start trying to impose our uh, preferences, uh, our personal, uh, um, you know, personal convictions, if you want to call them that, when we impose those on others, uh, and we live in a time, and it's sad because there's some of these, again, friends of mine that go to the, to the right of the Word of God, and then, God forbid you question them. I mean, and simply, literally, and when I say question them, I'm not talking about in a sarcastic way, I'm not talking about in a... Uh, uh, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the, really, uh, looking for a answer. Yeah. Rhetorical. I'm not talking about just in a rhetorical and a smart aleck way. I'm literally talking about people just asking the question, Hey, so where's that at in the Bible exactly? Can you help me see where that's at in the Bible? Because I don't see it. You're an apostate. Uh, you know, what do you mean you don't see it in, I mean, what, what do you mean to question me? The Bible says clear right there, be not conformed to the world. What more do you need to know that you don't, that you're not supposed to have a television? How dare you question that? It's right there, be not conformed to the world. Yeah, but is that really what that, did they even have television? Is that what that verse, yeah, oh man, you're gone. You've already gone, you're here. It's like, what in the world's going on here? Uh, I'll just say to these preacher boys, don't be idiots. Uh, I don't know them, but just don't be an idiot. Don't be a knucklehead. Stay true to the Word of God. Uh, It's okay to say, based on these certain principles in the Word of God, this is why, as a church, uh, or as an individual, we don't do A, B, or C. But what we need not do is to try to make it as if it's the Word of God. If we believe the Bible, and we believe God's Word is indeed God's Word, then we need to stand true to God's Word. We believe, as Christians, as Bible believers, we believe in the sole authority of Scripture. And I'm amazed at the people that will say that, and then go on and add other reasons why they're proud to be, you know, Baptist, and it'll be all these other things that aren't even in the Bible. Because we've been doing it for the last 60 years this way. Wonderful. Uh, you understand what I'm trying to say? It just, it, so stay true to the Word of God. We have preferences. There's principles that we live by. Indeed, there are. We've got to be concerned about our testimonies. And, and I'll say this for those because there's a tendency. Here's the tendency, and you've seen it over and over again. What happens is when you get into a church that, I mean, and what gets me is you'll get into a church to where, I mean, 90-something percent of the preaching is just like dead on, awesome, good. 
But then the fact that you throw a few percentage points in there of preference and you put it on the same level with the 90 other something percent that you were preaching on the same level as the Word of God, what that does, as people begin to really question and say to themselves, well, okay, is that really what the Bible says? Uh, and then what it does to preaching and teaching and Christians is it, it begins to discredit. And here's, you know what Jesus said? He, it was one of the verses we read last week. He said, through your traditions, you have made the word of God of none effect. So because we try to preach some of our uh, uh, preferences on the same level of the word of God, all of a sudden it makes some of our other preaching of none effect. And then what people do is they run, and so, so maybe they're in a church that leans a little bit to the right, so instead of coming back and trying to find the center, which is the Word of God, they go off over here and run off way to the left. Because they start saying, oh yeah, well they preach this, is, you know, and, and they start questioning, and I'm telling you, they, preachers love to blame it on these people that are leaving their church. They went out from us because they were not of us. They love blaming it on them, but I blame it on preachers. I blame it on the pastors. Not on the people. Uh, and I know there's exceptions to that, but I blame it on the preachers for not preaching the Word of God. I blame it on, I blame, I, I'm going back to preachers, but there's also individual responsibility as parents um, that we need to make sure that we're teaching our kids the Word of God. Okay, so let me find my, my notes here. Where am I? Uh, the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful. So last week, we talked about, if, if the Bible is indeed the Word of God, we talked about the perfection of the Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is given by what? Inspiration. What's inspiration mean? God breathes. It's breathed out by God. The very words of God. Therefore, if the Bible is the Word of God, that means the Bible is perfect. That means if God said it, buddy, you can believe it. The perfection of the Word of God with out error inspiration of god you say well didn't men write the bible the bible says holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the holy ghost of god second peter 1 21 they they, they and that means to be born along carried along let, let me show you something kind of cool here and i still ain't in my notes but i don't it don't matter um but we will be back to the gospel of john so please hold your place there but i want to look at the book of jude just for a moment the book of jude right before it's in the vestibule of revelation right before you go into revelation you'll find the book of jude and i say this because there's a really cool picture right here that the lord shows us in jude and it's in verse number three so jude is being inspired by God to pen an epistle, a letter. And notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, the reason I share that is because if you read the rest of Jude, you will not find much... It's not about the common salvation. It's about earnestly contending for the faith. Um, and what I believe that just simply demonstrates is this. That Jude may have set out that he was going to write one thing, but the Holy Spirit of God led him to go in a different direction. You ever help your kids or grandkids try to write letters? 
Try to, try to write. Well, oftentimes what you'll do is you'll put your hand on their hand and you'll try to say, this is how it goes, like this. And you'll try to teach them. But the holy men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost of God. So we talked about that last week, so we're not going to talk about this this week. Back over to the book of the Gospel of John now, verse number 1. The Bible says this. We're going to talk about the wonderful character. We talked about the Bible's absolute perfection last week. This week we're going to talk about the wonderful character of the Word of God. John chapter number 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, the Bible says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now just in case there's any question about who the Word is talking about here, notice verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the reason that the Word is capitalized in these verses is because of verse 3 we find out it's talking about a person, not the written Word. It's talking about a person. All things were made by Him. So it's talking about God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh. So Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. We have the written Word of God. Jesus Christ is the written Word of God, or the living Word of God. What do words do? They express thought. They express meaning. They express uh, feeling. They express the message that we want to communicate. So we read the written word, but when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we see what God's message is to mankind. He is the message. He is the word. God has the same name for His Son as He does for His book. <laughs> uh, folks, the, 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 uh, God calls the Lord Jesus Christ the Word of God, and He calls the Bible, of course, the Word of God. Notice in Revelation 19, verse 13. Revelation 19, verse 13. It's cool because at the, at the start of Jesus' earthly life, we see Him called the Word of God, but you find it again when He comes back, and He's coming back, amen. Uh, you, we find it again when He's coming back in Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 13. The Bible says, His eyes were, I'm sorry, it's verse 12, verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that God Almighty chose to link the character of the Lord Jesus Christ and the character of the written Word together. As we study the Bible, we find that Jesus Christ, the living Word, honored the Bible, which is the spoken word. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 35. I know I have you turning this morning, but that's good, isn't it? We have to, the uh, more we turn, the better we see it for ourselves. But John 10, 35. I'll get somebody to read that for me when they get over there. John 10, 35.
Amen. The Scripture cannot be broken. The written Word, again, presents Jesus, the living Word. And the written Word makes Jesus the star. Amen. He is the hero. Now, the Bible is not Jesus. I want to be clear about that. And Jesus is not the Bible. That's not what's being said in these verses. They are not identical, but they are inseparable. They are inseparable. There is a character and a collaboration between Christ and the Bible. Both the Lord Jesus in His humanity and the Bible come from God. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. I'm turning along with you, so you might as well turn. Uh, let's see. 2 Peter 1.21. I'll get somebody to read that for me when they get there as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Any volunteers? This is getting awkward. Uh, all right, Connie. Amen. And then, uh, then Galatians 4.4, 4, we see the same working of God. Both came from God. Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So both the Lord Jesus Christ and His humanity and the Bible come from Almighty God. Both the living Word and the written Word uh, are forever. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter. Somebody still in 2 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, I'm getting you to help me this morning because a lot of times I'll actually put the verses in my notes actually word for word, but now I've just got the references, so I, uh, I need help, uh, sort of. Anyway, 1 Peter 1, 25. Anybody that hadn't read? Amen. Amen, I love it. The word of the Lord endureth forever. And I mean, and the Bible says in another place, doesn't it? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I mean, if you just follow the thought process of some of the modernists or postmodernists, you would think as if God could only do so much until someone brilliant was born that could help us settle the matter. I mean, you know, a lot of times we've got to think through things that are said. Through, and I, I talk about listening to things that are not said as well. And what I just simply mean by that is when, when somebody begins to cast doubt and question the Word of God and act, and act as if they are the authority, um, you know, and, and I told you about it before, and I'm not going to get to, I'm, I will, I'll allude to it because it's important, but... Um, just like I talk about the postmodernists, the modern church, the, or the, uh, the emerging church, the leftists that are within the religious world, if you want to say it that way, <laughs> it's an interesting thing because if you ever listen to them, which I don't, necessarily, I don't encourage you to do, or if you ever hear the things they say, in one hand, they will be denying the validity of the Bible. They'll be denying that the Bible is the Word of God. They'll be denying that we can know what's the Word of God and what's not the Word of God. 
You know, maybe it's in there somewhere, but who knows? But then in the very next sentence, they'll be trying to defend their position using, guess what? The Word of God. Well, look how Jesus was with people. Look how this was. And I was like, well, wait a second. How do you know he was that way with people? You know, it's like you can't, uh, there, there's a, the, you know what the Bible says about this? It happens over and over again. And son, if it ain't, I mean, the Bible says professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And if we've ever lived in a day to where that's repeated over and over again, people for profess themselves to be wise, they become fools. And we need to understand that because the things that people say, uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, we, it, to me, it, 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 not to me, but I'm just telling you that the fact is, is it goes along with the time when the Bible says that, they'll, that men will call evil good and good evil, right? And that's, that we live in that day today. How ignorant is that? And so, uh, and, and you could see it illustrated over and over again, and I'm not going to go down that path, but I'm just simply saying that, folks, the Word of God endures forever. It is forever settled in heaven. So, both the living, word of, uh, the living Word and the written Word come from God. Both live forever. Both are absolutely unchanging. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. I'll turn over there myself if you want to turn along with me. Matthew 5, 18. The Bible says, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth shall pass away, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I love that Jesus uses that illustration. Um, I, I didn't do it today. I, I wished I would have, but uh, even today, I, I, you know, we refer to the, the dot above an I, uh, a lowercase I or a lowercase J. We refer to that, I believe, as a jot today. Um, and it's, 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 it's pretty much a jot. But it's pretty cool that if you actually go over to... Uh, Psalm 119, there's actually uh, an illustration of the Hebrew jot and tittle. Um, and, and, and the jot is basically a little dot. But then the tittle, and I think I got them right, is basically a small little tail. I mean, it's, it's something that if you were writing in cursive, it would almost look like just an just a accidental stroke of the pen at the end of, a, of like a capital M or, you know, something when you swerve. In other words, it's just a small appendage. And Jesus is just simply saying... Not one jot or tittle is going to pass away. I'm, listen, the Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is preserved. And, uh, and, and I'm glad that we've got that promise. And it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat amused sometimes when there'll be people that take a big stand on the Word of God being inspired, but then they will not take a stand on the Word of God being plenary preserved, which is plenary just means full, to, to be preserved. So God would preserve, God would inspire, the, so there's people that would say, God would inspire Moses, and God will inspire Paul and Peter, and God will give them the very words to write, it's the inspired word of God. But it's only in the originals. As if they put that last period there, and, and, and those original autographs uh, are now dust, on the desert floor, if you will. And so now it's left up to us to tell you what really is the Word of God and what the Bible should really say. And on and on people go. And again, it's so basic, 
But it all goes back, and I know I, I repeat it over and over again, but I do it for a reason. It's not because I'm senile yet. Uh, I do it for a reason. Where does this whole uh, appeal and idea go back to to where let me tell you what it means? Where does that go back to? The garden. Ye shall be as gods. Did God really say this? No, no. See, Satan gives the temptation. I want you, you can be like a God. You can be a God. You can determine the word of God. You can determine right and wrong. And that's where that all goes back to. Uh, folks, I want to say today, I'm glad that the word of God is absolutely unchanging. Unchanging. So, uh, the written word cannot be changed. Jesus Christ, of course, is also unchangeable. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Both the written word and the living word are light in dark places. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. Well, I'm turning to Psalm 119. Would somebody go to John 8, 12? John 8, 12. Uh, and I'll go to Psalm 119, verse number 5. I know I don't always call on this many, try to get this many, this much help reading, but we've got a lot of verses we're trying to look at. And I didn't get with Nathan. I could have got him to put these all up on the screen, but I didn't think of that. Psalm 119, verse 105. I'll read that one. All right, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Someone read John 8, 12, I hope. Amen. So all I'm trying to do with this particular point this morning is show the relationship between the written word and the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ that God's trying to communicate to us. Both bring light. Both include uh, the human element. The written word, God used men to bring about the word of God. And the Lord Jesus and, and God used the Virgin Mary to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that God used human means. Now, the fact that Mary uh, gave the, does the fact that Mary gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ make him imperfect? Was Mary an imperfect woman? Let's put it, put it another way. Was Mary a sinner? Absolutely, she was. Um, now, that don't mean Jesus was at all. And it's the same way with the Word of God. Did, the, did God use men to write the Word of God? Did He use men to rewrite the Word of God? I mean, you know, because if you just look at it, it's easy to say, yeah, but preacher, if the Word of God has been copied, and you say those original writings, those original autographs are long gone, and they are, um, and it's been copied over and over, I mean, boy, don't, don't you think a mistake could have come in there? Well, I would. I mean, from a logical standpoint, but I don't because I have the Word of God. And I know the Word of God promises preservation. And the fact of the matter is, is folks, the Bible stands the test of time. The Bible's awesome because although we may defend the Word of God, the Word of God defends itself. You know, we've said it over and over again. Those that try to prove God a liar prove themselves to be a liar. Uh, and uh, they either, uh, the, the life-changing value, the, the perfection of this book has stood the test of time. Uh, by the way, I'll throw this in there, by the way. 
Uh, and this goes to the reason that we use the King James Bible, uh, the, Eng the English Bible that I believe God preserved in the English language. <laughs> but here's one of the arguments, and you'll come across this if you've got a study Bible or you're studying, sometimes you'll come across this. Um, because, you know, uh, most of the modern versions, many of the modern versions, they omit a lot of portions of the Word of God. They take out key verses and all that, and people wonder why that is. Um, and what you need to understand is that when you look at these other English ver ver versions, by and large, uh, the paraphrases notwithstanding, they do not come from the same text. When we talk about the New Testament, they did not study the same Greek text to... Uh, they did not translate the same Greek text. Um, the Greek text, the Textus Receptus, the majority text that the King James came from in the Greek and Aramaic, it came from Antioch, Syria. It came from where they were called Christians. It was the, 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 the version that was used over and over and over again by the true church. Now, we, we, we've been studying the epistles for a while in our, in, on Wednesday nights. Was there ever any attempts made to pervert or teach false doctrine or anything like that, even in the early days of the church? Constantly, right away, they're on it. So guess what? While, a, while we have these, while we have the Word of God, the church, Christians, writing the New Testament, we've got apostates that are also putting in Greek but the difference is, these are people that did not believe in the divinity of Christ. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe in the resurrection. Many of them don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in blood atonement. They don't believe in heaven, hell, angels, uh, resurrection. Many of them, many of the people, so, so then you have that Greek version. That Greek version. That came out of Alexandria, Egypt. And, and just a long story short on this, <laughs> when, you've got, when you've got people... Uh, that are clearly apostate in their beliefs, giving you a Greek text, or you got the Greek text that the church is using to preach and win souls and build, uh, you know, and make a difference in the world. If you're going to go get a version to go to to study, which one would you generally want to go to? I would go to the one that is that stood the test of time, that's been used by the church, not the one that was written and, and, and compiled by apostates. But most every other modern version goes to that version that was compiled by apostates. Interesting, isn't it? Now, how about this? This is funny. I, I, I love thinking. I like, you, you ever like thinking stuff through? I like thinking stuff through. I like thinking things through, like the difference between correlation and causation. You know, I like thinking thoughts through. In other words, I like thinking this thought through. Here's one of the big, big defenses of the, the, the manuscripts because really it went from Greek and then when, uh, when the Catholic Church was founded, uh, they wanted a Bible to be able to basically... All, and let me tell you something. The, 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 Catholic, the, the Roman Catholic Church, you can honestly study the history. It's very fascinating. They literally... Have you ever relabeled something? Imagine going through a grocery store and just putting different labels on stuff. Does it change anything that's in that box or in that can or whatever it is in that bag? Honestly, what, what the, all the Roman Catholic Church did, man, is they went and they, 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 they took their pagan religion and they just changed labels on their pagan religion and they put Bible names onto their pagan religion and they tried to do this new form of Christianity. 
quote unquote. Uh, and the reason why, and I'm not getting into that because that's a whole other thing as well, but the bottom line is, is that Christianity had become so, they had tried to kill, they tried to kill Christianity off, did what became the Roman Catholic Church. But once they found out they couldn't kill it off, by this time, by the time you get um, Constantine, man, there's Christians in the Senate. The, the, the Roman army is, 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 is just totally full of Christians. I mean, there's something has to be done. Persecution wasn't working, and so rather than beat them, they kind of joined them. But when they did that, they sought out, and then that went into Latin. Then it goes on from there. But here's the thing that I was getting back to before I interrupted myself. If you've got a study Bible, you may be able to find in the, in, the, in the margin of your study Bible to where it'll say, it'll have a little note beside it. Uh, for instance, we pre, we've had baptism here recently. Uh, and I love going to Acts chapter number 8 when we have a baptism. Where the Bible says, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, preached to, or pre, <laughs> Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch just says, well, so, see here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And then what's the very next verse in the Bible? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And then the next verse says, So they entered both of them and you know, got out the chariot, and they went both down both of them into the water. And, he, and Philip baptized him. Now it's interesting, if you've got a, one of the other versions, oftentimes, literally, it just goes from, what is it, from 36 to 38 or 37 to... It, there's a literal whole verse missing. But if you look at the little thing in, in the margin there, it'll say this. The oldest text, that's not the, the most ancient text, um, omit this verse. And so they say, oh, wow. So the oldest manuscripts found, they didn't have that in there. Wow, that, that's important, isn't it? Because if it's old, it must be the most reliable. But see, that, that's what they lead you to believe. But under, the thing is, is that that oldest text that was found was the perverted or the corrupt text that I was referring to earlier. Now, why is it the oldest text found? In short, true story, it was found in our equivalent of a, of a, of a trash can in a, in, a, in a monastery. Why was it so old? Why was it older than what the church was using at the time? Because it wasn't used. Imagine this. You want to know what was happening with the received text, the majority of the majority text? In other words, like 97 something percent of texts that ever been found all agree. You want to know what was going on with that text? Ron, there was a scribe, somebody wrote, they would write that sucker down. Excuse me, I don't want to be irreverent by saying sucker, but they would write the words of the Bible down. Then guess what they would do? They would take it and bring it to church. And somebody would get up and preach it. Then somebody, then they would pass it on to somebody else. Guess what happened? It was being used. You want to know how long those, those early copies of the Word of God were lasting? Not very long. They were in circulation. They were being preached from. They were being carried across the deserts. They were being used. They were being uh, abused in that sense. They were using them. So they were eating them up and spitting them out, you could say, in a sense. So it sounds good to say, but when you've got this over here that's just like some kind of garbage, you know, and you're just like, we'll just put that over there. 
and you put it over there 200 years ago or more, why did it sit there so long? Nobody wanted the junk. We're using this. And so, yeah, while this may be older, it's older because it wasn't being used. You see what I'm trying to get at? Uh, None of this is in the notes either, but I'm just simply trying to say that the Word of God is without error, that the character of the written Word and the character of the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, are forever connected. And no no more, uh, Jesus is no more uh, imperfect because He came through Mary than the Word of God is because God used men to write it initially and then to preserve it and to rewrite it. All right, so that is uh, a little bit about the wonderful character of the Word of God. Uh, Next here quickly, well, let me pause there for any questions or comments. might be a good place for that. I'll, I'll actually give a little bit of time before I move on. Any questions or comments? Ralph. Um, so the question is, is do our, work, do our prayers need to be based on the Word of God in order for them to be received by God or answered by God or for God to be obligated to answer them? Um, I think, I'll try, to, I'll try to say what I think Ralph is saying. I believe it's to where the Lord said that when we pray, we need to pray according to the Lord's will. I mean, uh, based on the principles of the Word of God, um, I think that, uh, let me just try to put it this way, then I'll get Richard, because he he may be able to clear it up for me. I'll just try to answer it the best I can. Um, If I understand correctly, this is not the best example, maybe, but it would be similar to me praying that God would make me rich, or God give me a new car. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of a better example. Richard, just help me, maybe it'll... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there could be a distinction made there. So I, I like what Richard said there, a petition when we come to God, Lord, you said this, therefore uh, I'm expecting you to do that. And prayer, honestly, uh, one of the meanings behind prayer is, is actually adoration. And so we do just use the word prayer to where there's actually supplication. You know, we call it all prayer, but it's the Bible dis- distinguishes a little bit between you know, supplications, prayer. Prayer, in some instances, just really carries the idea of adoration and praise. But coming back, I think in any instance, uh, based upon the Word of God, I think based upon the principles of the Word of God, I mean, if we're just way off in left field with our praying somewhere and we're praying just totally ignorantly, if we're praying for souls to be saved, we're praying for the Word of God, aren't we? If we're if based on the Word of God. I mean, I think about just some of my prayers. If, I, if I'm praying for healing for my wife and I'm praying it according to God's will because He knows better than me, uh, I'm praying according to knowledge. I'm not, I'm not demanding that God heal my wife. Uh, God loves her a whole lot better than I do, and, uh, and, he, and he's wiser than I am, he, and, and so forth. He's more powerful than me. So my then praying is, um, yeah, I mean, so I think, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some other examples. I know what Ralph's saying. It may at first sound like, what in the world does that mean? But I think there's some truth to what he's saying, because if, 
if we're praying right. But here's one thing I'll just say real quickly, though. You want to know how good God is? God, man, I was just reading an example of this in the Bible the other day. Uh, when we're praying for something, you know the Holy Spirit of God makes intercession for us? You know Jesus at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us? Uh, I, I never prayed this, uh, but I think about maybe men that have prayed or women that have prayed, God, give me that man, let me marry that man. And then they're thankful that's not the person that they ended up marrying, for instance, or something, right? Uh, the great theologian once wrote, uh, thank God for un unanswered prayers, you know, uh, in song. But, um, but I'm just trying to say that uh, I think there's some truth to what Ralph's saying, even though it may, it's not that you have to have a specific verse, and that's where we talk about maybe the difference between precept and principle, that there's principles in the Word of God that we pray. But I think we can pray ignor ignorantly and God, God say, okay, this is what he's, he or she, she is saying. Here's what they really need. Uh, and God honors it in that way. Ron, did you have something to add? Yes. Okay, and that, that's, I'm glad you brought that verse up because that might would go along that you ask amiss, you ask uh, evilly. Um, there's definitely prayers of ours that, will, that God will, well, he'll answer. So I, I believe in the sense that he'll answer them all either yes, no, or wait. I believe every answer is uh, prayers answered in a sense in that. Um, but I would say maybe to agree to say that I believe our most powerful prayers is when we are praying the Spirit of God working through us with the knowledge of the Word of God. I don't know. Any clarification there? Anybody else a little bit confused? All right. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Amen. 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 Well said. You know, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe just to maybe tie, tie this point up, I think there's something to be said maybe about the spirit of prayer, the, the, our attitude, the spirit that we're coming in with. No matter what I'm asking, if I'm, if I'm praying according to the will of God, because, you know, I, I started off by talking about praying for God to give me a vehicle. Okay. There's nothing wrong with praying God gives you a vehicle, all right, for one thing. Uh, I, I was try but when I said that, I was trying to think more of the health and wealth guys that are saying, you know, give me a, give me a Bentley or something. Um, but, uh, because it's okay to pray. But you know what? 
uh, I think it's the thing of trusting God. I think I'll go back to maybe praying for my wife. I'll just use that example, praying for her healing. Um, does God heal people? Does He tell us to pray for healing? And He, he does. Um, well, why doesn't God answer that? I'm praying according to God's will. Yeah, but there's also another part. The Bible also says, the Bible's also clear that it's not all, I mean, Paul sought God three times for healing, and God said, no, I'll give you grace. I'm going to do something. I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. You know, for just a way of speaking, I'm going to give you grace. And Paul said, man, I'm glad God didn't take that thing. Because God's grace and the power I've experienced in Him is so much better than that. Uh, and so it's like praying for something, and, and, and the spirit of it is, ultimately, I have faith in you, Lord, that you're going to do the right thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th I think to Ralph's point, uh, there, there could be something. I've never heard it put that way. I guess that's why I'm kind of spitting and sputtered up here. I've never heard it put in that, that terminology, but I think I, I, I get where Ralph's coming from. Yeah, Doria? Right. That is good. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think and there's probably better points to be made. Let's back up just one second to say, what is the apocrypha? Anybody know apocrypha? That's right. So 14 books that were added. Uh, now, but but here's one of the things that could help. Uh, in the original King James 1611, guess what was in it? The apocrypha. But it wasn't added as the Word of God. It was added for what it meant, it's meant to be. It's just meant to be a history. It's supposed to be for history books. That's the, that's the purpose of the Apocrypha. It's, it's history. Um, but my point would be to that is that the Apocrypha itself, we're looking at all these verses claiming to be the Word of God, the Bible's the Word of God. The, the Apocrypha, is it, is it pho or tha? Apocrypha, Apocrypha. It's been a while since I've said it. Which is it? Fa, okay, apocrypha. But never has uh, nowhere. See, here to me, here's another point: the apocrypha itself nowhere claims to be inspired. The apocrypha does not claim to be the word of God. It was just again someone added it, and it was initially added again, even in uh, and I believe the very first 1611. It was not in there considered. It wasn't in there because it was the word of God, or because people thought it was the word of God. It was put in there because. Uh, what, what much of the Apocrypha covers is some of the history that took place between Malachi and Matthew. And so it's just like, well, let's just fill some history. 
you can get an idea of what happened. Uh, but it doesn't, the, the Apocrypha itself, and there's probably some other good points too, Doria, uh, but that's one that I know for sure, is that the Apocrypha does not even claim to be the Word of God. It's just... Uh, yes, I think the history is considered accurate. Um, you know, because it covers, of course, the Maccabees and some of the things that are con concerning there. The history, I believe, is considered to be ac accurate, but I don't know that every narrative um, is considered to be accurate. It's, it's almost like if you look at any other history, you, you know, you look at the history of uh, Alexander the Great, or you look at even Julius Caesar, for that matter, uh, you'll often, if you listen to what they say, is we, the, the history gets told over and over again, so the stories become real. But if you listen, there's often caveats that'll come along and say something along the lines of, you know, most people believe that this happened, but then you'll find out that others that. So in some of the narratives, there can be questions as to what happened there and the validity of people's testimony. But it generally feels uh, some history of what happened. And there's some better answers to that. I'll have to look into that. I don't know. Does anybody else got any thoughts on the Apocrypha? And we'll, we'll end with this this morning but any other thoughts or questions on the apocrypha uh yeah uh that's a great question what would be the catholic's purpose for including the apocrypha from what i understand you may be able to get purgatory from the, the apocrypha is that true or not okay Wow. Okay, well, that's awesome. That, that, that's great insight. So that's another thing, praying to the saints. And maybe that's one of the things, okay? So I'm glad you said that because it's covering the history and maybe what some of these people are doing, praying to the saints. Maybe there's some mention of purgatory. But say praying to the saints, for instance. They were doing this accurately in history. They were. God never told them to. The Word of God didn't teach that. The Word of God is clearly against that and goes against that. But but it's just telling you historically, that's what they did. And so I think that's one of the things that some of those doctrines that we look at and are like, what are you even, where'd you get that from? Well, you know, some of it, and I don't even know that there's even all that much. Is there anything else on that door you want to add? Right. No. Oh. Right. Right. 
Now, has she said anything about the Apocrypha herself? Or has she said anything about the Apocrypha herself or her belief in it? Or? No. Okay, because I, I would just say that it's, it's interesting for me and in, in my experience. I have, uh, I have never in all my years ever had a Catholic try to argue with me from the Apocrypha. Never. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's I know that's one and it's cool that Anita's been studying that, so I'm sure she'll have some stuff. But I'll just say like and we'll close with this. One one of the tough things like Whenever I have a conversation with people, it's one of the first questions I'll ask them a lot of times, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Because uh, if you don't, it's kind of like, where do you go from there? It's like, well, this is what I'm going to be talking about. So can we first agree that the Bible is the Word of God? If you're not too sure, well, why not? And that's what Dory's talking about. I wanted to get you founded in the Bible, being the Word of God. But the challenging thing with Catholicism is Catholicism, they're taught that Catholicism stands on a, a, a stool, a three-legged stool. And that's what makes it a little bit challenging sometimes talking to them because we have the Bible. That's it, right? This is, <laughs> this is what we stand on. But the Bible is simply one of the legs on their stool. Uh, the other is uh, what I think the other is like is the papacy, the pope, and then the other one is the catechism or something to that effect. Uh, but basically, you've got all these different sources. So the, the thing is, is it's always trying to bring a, a, a Catholic individual back to the question, Okay, but do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Because what, what do you do when Jesus and the Pope say two different things? What are you going to do in that situation? I, I ask other people that way that believe there's other churches that have a catechism that what they believe is based on the catechism, the teachings of their founder, and sometimes the teachings of the founder and the Word of God conflict. And I ask them the question, well, what do you do uh, when your catechism, your founder and, and, and baptism is one of those topics, you know. Uh, and when your founder said this about baptism, but and the catechism says this about baptism, but the Bible says this about baptism, what do you do? Who, which, which are you going to believe? So anyway, well, that would be a great discussion. Appreciate it. Um, let's see. We'll take a little break. We'll try to get started at 11 sharp, which gives us about six minutes.